0: You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. This episode is brought to you by CarboRocket. CarboRocket is the next generation of sports drinks. The latest sports science research, combined with the best tasting, all natural, proven ingredients, makes CarboRocket the perfect alternative for your hydration and nutrition needs. CarboRocket is available in original, 333 calorie half evil, and soon their new recovery drink, CarboRocket Rehab. Go to com to place your order today. We missed the
1: beginning, yeah, we missed the beginning of the show because somehow my internet disconnected. But anyway, if you've been waiting for us, this is just riding along on Mountain Bike Radio, brought to you by ProGold, Zombie Bruce Dickman, and ProGold again. Um, <clears throat> the uh, first part of Oh, and by the, the way,
2: was- we'll discuss zombie Bruce Dickman in a little while. That's yeah. what I was going to say. It's yeah, don't funny. let your guard down because he will eat your brain, but more importantly, it will come back around. And it so, pertains to homemade products. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll start we'll, we'll start off with that because we actually have a few questions. Hopefully, we won't get disconnected again because we just got disconnected while we were waiting for the show to start.
2: So, first and foremost, if you do call in tonight, you will be entitled to a 20% off coupon for Carbo Rocket. So, if you call in Make sure that you um, do so because that would be good, and then you need to give us your email so we can make sure you get that discount code. If you want to call in, the number is 646-595-4113. Again, that's 646 595 Four eleven. Free.
1: Why do you have to say it? weird numbers like
2: that? No, because the guys from Car Talk do it like real funky every time, and it's funny. <laughs> it's
1: just like Car Talk.
2: It's kind of like Car Talk, yeah, except literally. I'm not old, and I can drink during the show, and I can say fuck.
1: Oh, I was going to let our, our listener with the question say fuck first.
2: We're allowed to do like, we want to try not to go much over three, I think, per Well, episode. that's for we three of us. Okay. Oh. So.
1: Oh, oh. well. Anyway. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, we were gonna start pancakes. pancakes. We were gonna start by, um, that's what we're gonna use now instead of saying an f bomb uh, on the show. Once we have re- reached our quota, we'll just say pancakes. Um, <laughs> so we want to start out by talking about how sometimes, uh, as people who work in shops and also look at the internet, what do you? Are you letting? he okay.
2: was banging by the door.
1: Oh, okay. Indy Indy need to go do it a little north-south end.
2: Okay, so people that... Maybe they
1: they have a nice bike.
2: Or maybe they have really nice... Let's leave it at really nice stuff. So, perfect example would be the person driving the Lexus SUV that wants... Maybe
1: not even a Lexus. It could be like a a Chevy SUV.
2: No. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead.
2: some rap would say that Lexus truck.
1: That,
2: tell us about that Lexus truck. So the dude drives a Lexus truck, and he probably has, like, he has tailored clothes on, so he's probably wearing $1,500, $2,000 worth of clothes. Or let's just leave it simple. He has $500 wrapped up in his shoes and his belt, and he's haggling you over a 500
1: Yeah, yeah, that's an extreme example.
2: Or that same dude just dropped Six thousand dollars on his bike, and now he wants to buy the like the Yakima like the 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 like Joe Buddy, which is like the cheapest like sixty five dollars travel on the back of your SUV rack to haul around his really expensive bike on his really expensive car.
1: I was gonna go one step further and say that um, just recently on a local Facebook page, someone posted what. Somebody posted a picture of how Home Depot has $35 bike racks for your car. And um, Come on. I said, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Everyone, put your three or multi-thousand-dollar mountain bike." Yeah, so I'm talking over a thousand-dollar mountain bike on the cheapest rack possible. To drive around. It's like, what? What are you? What are you thinking there? Yeah.
2: taking your wheel off and putting it in your trunk and buying, like, 175 chicken nuggets (laughs) (laughs) then to buy a $35 rack at Home Depot. For those of you that aren't up to snuff, Kenny often uses chicken nuggets as currency, (laughs) and often he uses chicken nuggets as currency in how buying such a ridiculous number of chicken nuggets would obviously serve you better than spending such a low amount of money on a product. If SRAM is allowed to use chains as currency, I'm allowed to use chicken nuggets.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, wait, so just a quick update for us. Are they actually repaying you at the shop in something other than chains? I've heard that in theory, but I haven't gotten
2: any official news, so I just won't. Oh, I won't okay. say anything until they actually cut me a check.
1: Okay, I didn't
2: know. But there has been talk about this Is in relation to the uh, the recall, the whole yeah. hydraulic Road disc brake recall thing, which we won't get into too much, but um basically, a lot of people were thinking the shops were going to be left high and dry because there's a lot of labor that's got to yeah, go that on a lot of labor. to do two different installs of integrated levers on road bikes, which isn't necessarily fun. Um, anyway, and SRAM just usually throws you a chain as compensation, which two is two chains, which uh which doesn't <laughs> yeah two chains which doesn't really cut it in this situation. So anyway, there has been a rumor that. Um, well, not so much a rumor, it was actually posted by some representative of SRAM saying that they're going to reimburse in cash the shops, they just didn't specify how much. So All mostly, right. It might be $25 or something ridiculous. But,
1: <laughs> That's between SRAM uh, and Jesus. Because
2: there are people on the internet who argue that they can do this double swap in like 30 minutes. So I'm very... So just to
1: clear it up for our listeners at home, we're talking about um, how someone might Remove a set of hydraulic brake shift levers.
2: Yeah. So install. So they're drop bars. So you need to unwrap the bars. You have to take all the stuff off and cut it and blah blah blah. And honestly, stripping a bike of that stuff really doesn't take that long. It's pretty easy. But putting it all back on, it can be if it's internally routed. You've got whole other issues and. I mean, even removing it externally routed is kind of a a job. You have lots of little pieces to keep up with and. But regardless, basically you have to. For the most part, you have, you to, put the mechanical stuff you have to rebuild every moving part on the bike because it's shifters and brakes you're talking about here because they're integrated levers. And then you have to rewrap the bars. Then you have to take all that stuff back off again, and then you have to put it all back on again. And this is also – got to test ride the bikes in between. you got to make sure everything is right. Anyway, it's, it's actually a pretty damn big ordeal on anybody. So
1: one uninstall – well, an uninstall, a reinstall, an uninstall, and a reinstall.
2: Exactly, to get everything right. Um,
1: on road stuff, which is not as easy it's not as uh, it's not as quick as on a mountain bike because but, everything's integrated and you have to deal with bar tape, some bar tape you can unwrap and rewrap and it'll never make a difference and you won't be able to tell some bar tape as soon as you unwrap it, it sticks to itself and it pulls apart and you have to replace it.
2: But I had some uh, some internet jockeys say that if it takes you more than an hour to do that, that you should be fired. that's fine. Yeah. And that's fine. All I got to say is they've never actually worked in a shop.
1: <laughs> right. So anyway, just funny stuff. Uh, okay, but yeah, so I don't know how we got on breaks, but whatever. Uh, currency. We were talking chicken about nuggets. chicken nuggets as yeah. currency. So wait, I forgot. How much, how much is one chicken nugget worth
2: in it, currency? It, 20 chicken currency? nuggets is worth $5. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. So that's just to clear that up. 20 chicken nuggets is
2: $5. Yeah. So you can buy 140, roughly, chicken nuggets for the price of a $35 rack, not including tax. <laughs> well, both are going to be taxed in the state of Tennessee. Sure, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter to wash.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh,
2: Chicken nuggets are taxed a quarter of percent less than everything else.
1: So along before. with cheap racks that you should promptly avoid if you have, you know, a halfway decent mountain bike.
2: Any uh, bike. Or any
1: bike. You any should bike. love your bike. Yeah.
2: Love your bike. It's your bike. It's the only bike you have. It's like in that movie.
1: This is my gun?
2: Yeah, like... Full cool metal jacket. Yeah. It's like this is my gun. I love my gun. Except it's like this is my bike. I love, love your Matt, and you hate your bike. Yeah, Matt hates everything.
1: Uh, also, like homemade stuff, um, making your own chain lube. And as Matt pointed out earlier, I have actually made my own chain lube
2: before. It sucks.
1: And yeah, it sucked. Like I mean, it worked. It it kept my chain from making noise. Yeah, it was
2: a great. It was a great lubricant. It was also a great particulate collector. Yeah. It was a great. It was a great dye. It changed things black all the time.
1: Um, yeah, and it was a pain in the ass to like store and refill and all that. And now I just I use Pro Gold. Whatever. Some people like other chain lube. I'm not Some gonna. Some people are stupid. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna be like a total, you know, like sponsor whore and be like Pro Gold's the only thing you can use and if everything else. If you use else...
2: anything besides Pro Gold on your chain, your chain will explode. I just will say that I have
1: used a lot of chain lube and I prefer Pro Gold.
2: But we're just we were discussing how silly it is for people to do homemade remedies that aren't really necessary. Yeah, like the yeah. The people that make their own laundry detergent and they make their own soap and they make their own chain lube and
1: um, really, I mean, tubeless sealant. That's yeah. one that I've seen. There's a thread on Mountain Bike Review that's like fifty pages long or more about how you make your own tubeless sealant step one drive to
2: the bike store step two buy stands
1: people want to assume that they can make something
2: better like with homemade stuff well people say that all the time they're like oh you got bit by a tarantula just put lemon juice on it and you'll be okay it's like that's ridiculous
1: (laughs) i mean i think there's
2: some things that you can take pride in making like for instance ryan like uh, baking soda apparently does everything like you picked up aids in africa like eat some baking powder and like or baking soda and you're good you know. <laughs> it's also good if you get wine on your shirt. But, like, <laughs> if you're making beer or you're going to make a home-cooked meal or you, like, I don't know, build your own kitchen table, like, those are things that you might, like, be a craftsman at. and but Those things that, make a little bit more sense. Yeah, well, that's what I was getting at. Like, something where you can be a crafts person and, like, actually do something and take pride in it. Nobody's going to be like, bro – my own own sealant bro look at my (laughs) sealant; it's awesome and like well everybody says like oh look i made i made this and instead of the four dollars for two ounces of stands it cost two dollars like wow that's amazing
1: yeah yeah, and that's kind of how chain lube ended up
2: and the amount of time you spent messing around with that crap and all the failures you had it's like is it really if you're going to use money as the The amount
1: of time it you have to spend reading that thread on MTBR about making your own sealant.
2: If you're going to use money as an argument, it's a really stupid argument. Right, right. So, yeah, that <laughs> was that was
1: kind of the first thing I wanted to talk about. We actually have – What we
2: we're, were going with is if you uh, – how would we get to the Bruce Dickman zombie? Okay. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, unless um, it's a zombie apocalypse.
2: Yeah, so you should only be making homemade stuff if it's a zombie apocalypse, and you, uh, and you can't go buy – Whatever it is. Yeah. Like you can't. You go your, to the shop local and bike they're shop. like,
1: No, no, like Bruce Dickman came by and he's a zombie and he bit one of the mechanics and like now we have a zombie mechanic. And the mechanic's like, Ah, I'll change your hydro in an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So
2: the only time you're allowed to make your own chain lube is if Bruce Dickman has been turned to a zombie is what we were getting at. Yeah. Yep. So exactly. or your own sealant or your own 22-inch inner tube, ghetto tubeless setup. Or, yeah, yeah, But if, if all it. that – if that happens and Bruce Dickman gets bitten by a zombie and turns to a zombie, you're perfectly allowed to do any of these home remedy stuff. So you're allowed to post about it on, like, you know, the, the backwoods internet that you made out of, <laughs> out of whatever that – You can write it on your tinfoil hat. You're communicating with, Sticks like, CB radios and smoke signals.
1: <laughs> what is the smoke signal for bruce dickman as a zombie <laughs> it would take a
2: really really long time you send up smoke
1: brought to you by pro Gold.
2: and yeah that's it um so yeah Let's,
1: uh, we'll so go... we have
2: i just want to point out that we have well i say that we i was going to say that we have provided zero useful bike information so far but we said we're don't, about to though we said don't do homemade stuff because we think it's stupid yeah and think, we,
1: think before you, you, we gave you an option to
2: get a 20% discount code for Cargo Rocket if you called in, but no, no one, one has called, called in. in. And if you did want to call in, the number is 646-595-4113. And you tracing the number with your cursor while I'm reading it does not help at all because <laughs> you trace at a different number than I'm reading. So there's just something moving in the numbers. So, again, 646 646- Find 595-4113. If you call in, we will answer your question right on the spot after we rudely cut you off and tell you you're dumb. And you'll get 20% off of anything you want to buy from Carbo Rocket as long as the discount applies because I don't know a lot about it.
1: And as long, if you don't have a question, you can call in and tell us who is your favorite host of JRA and why. So that's the topic. like, if you just, you're like, man, I really want that 20% off, but I don't have a bike-related, or any kind of question, because it doesn't necessarily have to be bike-related. It can just be, you know, just a question, I like, assume where Matt, do babies come from?
2: I assume Matt is the most loved and most hated.
1: Probably. I think he's, you know, he's definitely like being infamous. got, he's probably got the most, the strongest following and disliking, which I, I, know, env- I envy that just a little that's, bit.
2: That's the thing, like, it happens on... In local communities, on local forums, on worldwide radio forums, you people, if you're if you're just normal, then you don't get your own radio show, or you don't get to co-host a radio show. And if you're just boring, then no one loves you and no one hates you, and you're just always kind of there. But if, yeah, if you like, don't
1: have an opinion on everything,
2: if you got an opinion and you piss people off, then some people are like, yeah, and some people are like. I hate you and I'm going to belittle you in public for it. And then you have some people that like really agree with you, but they don't publicly agree with you. They're just like, Hey, I really like what you did. And you kind of feel like you're awesome, but then you realize it's just the pancake and internet.
1: So um, (laughs) Let's start with Rod Kugler Because he, he asked me the question like that. We'll go in chronological order. Um, he says, can you recommend a good thermal jacket to race in in around 20 degree weather? What would you wear as layers? Distance of the race is around 15 to 20 miles. My first question, when you are training for this race in that weather, what are you wearing? That's what you need to wear in the race.
2: Well, no, maybe that's the thing. Maybe this is an upcoming event. And I'm going to assume that Rod does not have the perfect setup yet. So. What Rod needs to do is invest in a couple of different layers. First and foremost, you need comfortable and and tight-fitting base layers. It it needs to be able to go onto your body without causing discomfort, but I think that's about as loose as it needs to be. Um, You want that layer against your skin to be really tight because it's going to be the foundation for everything else, and you don't want it to bind up with the other layers. Um, I think a couple of different long sleeve jerseys are going to be good. If you're in a location where you have, uh, what was the temperature, 20? What? Yeah, well, no, temperature range. You didn't write that on the Uh, paper. 15 to
1: 20.
2: Yeah, if it's 15 to 20 degrees, then it's going to be...
1: Oh no! He just says 20 degree weather, 15 to 20
2: miles. Yeah, so if you have 20 degree weather, that means you have 22 and 32 and 42 and 52 degree weather. So you can kind of put this together out of a lot of items that can be stacked and layered in different ways to meet a bunch of different temperature ranges. So you, you need a, a really space layer, and maybe maybe a, a thinner one, something that's more of like a, uh, a Patagonia makes Kapilene, like a one is almost like a silk underwear weight. And then you get something like a four, which is nearly heavy enough that they put a zipper in the neck. So that's something that's thicker than like a t-shirt, thicker than what you would consider like long-john underwear. Um, and, and that would be a really good place to start on the top. And then again, a couple of different weights of long-sleeve jersey. I have some long-sleeve jerseys that are the same material as summer material, like a summer weight jersey. Have some that nearly passes jackets. And then on top of that, you can either layer in a lightweight jacket, a big, like a thick, you know, a lightweight wind-stopping jacket of some sort, or like a thick jacket of some sort, and a windbreaker, and also in the mix of all this, a vest. I know that sounds crazy, but you have to figure out what works for you at that temperature range.
1: So. Right. I was going to – Matt just to give you, like, the really nice answer. I was going to give you a little bit of, like, the HTFU answer, Um this is actually, uh, around 20 degrees is what it was when I raced Masters World last year. Um, so it was in the teens, low 20s, like that area. Uh, there was some snow on the, well, I don't know, if yeah, there was leftover snow on the ground. It was mainly just mud. Um, but anyway, it was cyclocross, which is 45 minutes. Um, are you chugging wine over there? so cyclocross it was about 45 minutes so a little bit shorter than what um you don't know how fast ride goes for 20 miles yeah i mean i don't know if you're talking about a 15 to 20 mile gravel grinder maybe that's only going to be an hour um if that's 15 to 20 miles of super technical single track or 15 to 20 miles on a fat bike i don't know um so look at how long you're going to be racing and how hard you're planning on going um That's why I gave you the first answer. Um, You need to, if you're going to race at a time of year when there's a potential for terrible weather, you have to train in that. So if you've had a 20-degree day before or a day when it was like 20 and snowing or it was 35 and raining and you know that that is a potential weather condition for your race, you have to train in that so that you know this stuff ahead of time. Because if you don't, when you get to the race and it's that temperature, you're going to be freaked out and not know what to race in. Um, So, you know, that's kind of my – and I I actually – I gave that advice to someone. Um, We had a marathon here in Memphis. Well, almost had a marathon. It got iced out, but –
2: Iced out.
1: Yeah, there were people that were like, oh, gosh, it's going to be, you know, in the 20s for this marathon. I don't know what to – I don't know what to wear for the marathon. Well, that weather had been around before. Maybe not with the snow they were predicting, but, you know, it had been that cold before. And those are the same people that were like, oh, I'm going to run on the treadmill today because it's cold outside. You know, so that's that's my advice is you should already know how to dress for that because you've trained in it. But if you haven't, follow Matt's advice and mm. start layering Well, I was going to say a lot of times what you can do is dress for around, like if you're going to race, let's say this race is going to take you an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. Um, You're going to be hauling ass. If you're going to be going to plaid and hauling ass for 15 to 20 miles, it's very likely that you could dress for temperatures around, say, 30.
2: No, you can't put it like that. You have to quantify that further, though dress for like it's 30 and you're going on a regular
1: ride yeah that well no that that's you hold on All i right. gotta i gotta finish what i was saying dress for what might be a little uncomfortable for or, or what would be comfortable for like a regular ride and 30 degrees <clears throat> not necessarily a race and put a windbreaker on to warm up or a jacket or you know something a little heavier over everything to warm up and then warm up And at the start line, take that jacket off and then start your race, you know, a few minutes later. Um, That's a strategy used by a lot of people.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm going to go with benefit of the doubt again for Rod. You're saying he hasn't been training this. I'm just going to go with Rod hasn't been comfortable how he's been training. Like, maybe Rod is, like, new to cycling and this is his first winter cycling, And he's wearing, like, an old hunting jacket while he's riding. I mean, you never know. Yeah. My
1: favorite thermal jacket, if I had to say, is actually a cappy one um, that is a little bit too heavy to be a long sleeve jersey and maybe a tiny bit light to really be a jacket. And it's awesome because it has the pockets on the back are kind of diagonal. um, And they're made to where you can reach into them and get stuff out of them when you have gloves on. Um, so it's really, really nice like that, and it's got a tall collar on it, so it can block the wind out, or you can unbutton it and unzip it a little bit and let the wind in. So that's a very nice thermal jacket is the cap. I don't know the model of it, but um, that might be something that you look for um, as far as qualities in a jacket. It's got some windproofing on the front, like on the chest and on the front of the arms, um, but the back of it is less windproof, so it's a little more breathable.
2: So I'll throw something in. I borrowed someone's Castelli winter jacket. Um, I think it was the espresso, but I'm not positive on that. I was trying to look it up. Anyway, it was a really nice jacket for what it's worth. I mean, expect to pay 200 two or $300. They're not cheap. But right. that sucker was warm and it breathed well. Like I didn't sweat it, and that's what was, that's what was pretty important. And I haven't made it to that level yet, but I've definitely seen a forty dollar jacket is just garbage. Like a ninety or hundred dollar jacket is definitely worth the ninety or one hundred dollars. You can probably, I mean, I'm not going to doubt that there's a hundred dollar jacket that performs like a two hundred dollar jacket, but there's probably not a forty dollar jacket that performs yeah. like no. a hundred dollar jacket. And that's what I meant. This kind of goes back to our earlier yeah, thing. Yeah, don't is,
1: don't be don't be stupid cheap. Yeah, yeah, don't
2: don't buy. You know what a great rule of thumb is? Find what the cheapest one is and don't buy that one. Yeah, well, like this works well with anything. Like when you go to Home Depot and you're like, I need a cordless drill. Don't go buy a $50 cordless drill because it's going to be a sack of shit. <laughs> it's really simple. I can't believe the number of people that buy those things. Oh, Like there's a – it just blows my mind. You screw in like four screws and like it burns out, oh, but <laughs> and it half-ass worked anyway. It just – that stuff kills me. I can't believe that someone does that. Like, hey, take that $50 and go buy chicken nuggets and use a regular handheld –
1: Screwdriver.
2: (laughs) Yeah. you're done. So
1: So buy yourself a nice thermal jacket or else you might as well spend your race entry on chicken nuggets.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, So I'll answer this one top to bottom. John Twist. You could buy no winter gear and just buy like a ton of chicken nuggets and and stay warm that
1: way. You'd get fat and that would be like an extra thermal jacket.
2: You could wear cargo pants and fill the pockets with chicken nuggets to keep you warm.
1: (laughs) But they only work for a few minutes. All right, uh, Matt can Matt's going to answer this question meeting. from... not I'm not. This is off of Twitter
2: from John <laughs> Twist. So John Twist wants to know why Matt is begging for clothes. I'd like to quantify that a little bit differently. I wrote an open letter to Andy Schleck and Radio Shack because as of January 10th, the Radio Shack becomes fully defunct. Actually, I think January 1st, everyone is released from their Radio Shack contract. And as of January 10th, the... Trek Factory Road Team goes live. So January 10th, because of the caliber of both of these teams, the previous Radio Shack team and the new Trek team, I wholeheartedly believe that Andy Schleck is going to get a new wardrobe for cycling. Um, He is going to get new socks, shorts, jerseys, bibs, knickers,
1: bib tights,
2: jackets, vests, gloves, Helmet, three everything.
1: Of three or four of everything. At
2: least three or four of everything. And he is going to, he is contractually or contractually. contractually obligated to wear track
1: stuff. All the time. All the time. That's actually in contracts. I've even, I am nowhere near the cyclist of Andy Schleck, but I have signed at least two different things saying that during training and during racing, I will wear the team kit.
2: So. If you go to RadioShackCycling.com or whatever it is, if you just Google Andy Schleck rider profile, um, you can find his stats. And Andy Schleck is one inch shorter than me and two pounds lighter than me. So what that means is all of Andy Schleck's RadioShack gear would fit me perfectly. And I run into a really big problem. The, The last two inches is always hanging out. I just can't get the last two inches in. So the sleeves of my jackets is what I'm talking about. They're always too short. Your, Your wrists are always showing. My wrists are always showing. So the gloves come up over the wrist a little bit. The jacket nearly touches the wrist. And then from about, I guess you could put like two or three fingers from your wrist bone up, is always hanging out in the air. And sure, I can pull and tug. And tuck some stuff together and get it to cover for just a minute. But five minutes later, or as soon as I go on the drops or on the mountain bike, I could I could maneuver a few times, do some pushing and pulling with the handlebar, and then boom, my wrists are out again. And it's really annoying. It, it, my hands get really cold. Um, moving on, when it's really hot out, or all temperatures, but especially really cold, when I'm trying to wear tights, or really when I try to do like a, a long midsummer ride, my shorts when they get really wet, they're too loose. So. And
1: let me let me interject here. Your thighs, and I'm I'm not trying to be like mean or anything, but your thighs, the circumference of your thigh, like where your shorts hit, is smaller than most. Even people that are as tall and correct. skinny as you, even people who are five, six foot two and a hundred and 50 pounds or 145 pounds, whatever you are right now, um, their size are probably a little bit bigger than what yours are.
2: Correct, and I understand that, and I I get it. I really do. But the thing is, is like a lot of companies, they stop at a a men's small on the bottom. And a lot of times that small is designed for a 30-inch waist. I don't have a 30-inch waist. And that's like the bottom of the small. So like a small is for a 30-32, and I have a 29-inch waist. And the rare company that makes an extra small just happens to be a little too small. Like, I I try to pull them on, and I'm like, well, there's not, there's just not room for all of my body in this. Like at that point, <laughs> the bib the straps are a little too short, and the the just the leg openings are they're designed for someone like a junior size, like, like 13 a, year old a kid. Like
1: Colombian, they're made for Colombians.
2: Yeah, they're probably just too like you're not not like width, like you can't fit into the leg hole that they're so short. Bib. Yeah, so just, if you've ever seen like, like, like you've got tri-short bibs.
1: Like a little Colombian climber who's like a jockey size person, you know, like 115 pounds. Well, and I, just, I
2: was going to say a 13-year-old kid Yeah, or fits that. Him well. Like, I mean, in American terms. Like,
1: juniors or, or Colombian climbers. So what I'm seeing is, and
2: I, I'm being like totally serious here. I could do what Kenny said a few minutes ago. I could spend $300, and I'm sure I could find a Costelli or Giordano or, uh, or Rafa or something like that jacket that fit me like beautifully, right? But the problem is like, I can't spend $300 on a jacket and $300 on a pair of bibs and $300 on a pair of bib tights because I'm a grand in the hole and I have three pieces of clothing. And it's just not going to work out. And honestly, if... I could get those clothes that are – because those clothes have been tailored to fit him like paint. So even if they don't fit me perfectly, they're going to fit me a hell of a lot better than most stuff off the shelf. And they're going to – they're they're a totally different caliber of clothing that I can afford. And if someone would say, look, if you buy a bike from 88 Bikes and pay the shipping, I'll send you this stuff, I would, I would do that in a heartbeat for the simple reason. And it's very greedy, but I would get thousands of dollars probably of stuff for very little – but what the hell is Andy Schleck going to do with this old Radio Shack shit? Really. He's not ever going to wear it. He might ride the shorts on the trainer. It's that, like, the only thing I could ever imagine well, happening? Maybe if he wants to keep, like, a set to
1: remember. Yeah, yeah. But like we said, the only I'm yeah, sure he's got, it? like, ten sets. Well, I'm <clears throat> sure he got, like... Even on, like, the small-time team that I was on when I was racing road, and this is, like, women's semi-professional road racing, like, we got three kits. Yeah. And there's no telling what Andy Schleit gets. Like yeah. we got three kits and a long sleeve jersey and a jacket and some socks. Like that was, and that was for like a, an okay funded like domestic, almost pro or pro ish team, you know.
2: So what did uh, did you get any response? So I sent a, I've actually emailed back and forth with Jens Boyd a little bit about this. So I might get somewhere with it. I might not. I'm not getting my hopes up too high, but. I think it would be really cool if it worked out. It would be a, a really neat opportunity. Um, well, ho- hopefully there's not dumb like contractual stuff in there like, oh, if it's the old kit, it has to be destroyed or can never be worn by anybody else or blah, 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 well, or no, something stupid. You because know? if you go on um, eBay, the pros closet, they sell a lot of that old stuff. Okay. So, I, I could definitely see a situation right, yeah, that yeah. would arise. Where some sponsor somebody would say we don't want someone to represent blah 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 or who knows what. So I think for the most part, though, because we do live in America, remember. And but a lot are, of this stuff is not based ridiculous. In, but a lot of this stuff isn't based in America, okay. which is a great thing because we are <laughs> really stupid over here. And the other thing is, a lot of this is people get stuff and it's theirs. Like here's your stuff, and if you're not paid a lot, you have the opportunity to maybe ride some beater stuff and sell your stuff at the end of the year, or maybe train in some, you know, have some really ratty training clothes and save like 10 full kits to blow out on eBay and just put the money in your pocket. I mean, these guys definitely have a way of, I guess you could say it is the system where they they get to make money by doing things, whether it be selling their bikes, selling their kits, selling their shoes. You know, I'm sure these dudes get a bunch of helmets and they don't wear them all. I mean, there's just lots of ways for them to make money throughout the year with their stuff. And I do see it on eBay. And I, I'm fairly confident that Andy Schleck isn't selling his used bib shorts. And again, I, like I said in my open letter to Radio Shack, I'm not some freak that wants to sniff his chamois. Like, I was gonna say that. That's the other. But way that I might. The, the small, the small downside of that is that you'd be, you know, sharing another man's fatigues, which is. Hey, I mean, you know, that's not that big of a. Not a big deal. I would launder everything first and wear it. I mean, I have yeah. no problem with and that. And I'm, I'm just, sure he
1: wouldn't send you anything I, just, dirty either. Just, so throw,
2: just throwing it out there. I mean, that's fine. As long as he did not okay, like... It's okay, Kenny.
1: It's okay if you're insecure about that sort of thing. You know, for me, <laughs> it no,
2: insecure is more of a that's kind of gross thing. Well, the for me, it would be gross thing. if you, like, took off a pair of dirty bibs and handed them to Maybe me. Maybe
1: if they had a skid mark, that might be a little bit weird. But, you Andy, know... Andy Schleck, but, if you're listening... Please, like, put a little pre-treater on that skid mark before you wash them. So Here's the thing, out. though. And if, were, if
2: you send in multiple guys, one of them has to have a skid mark on but, <laughs> but remember this. Remember this. Go back to the little podunk school where the Watchdog Challenge race starts and leaves from. Someone stole my six-hour race-in bibs off the counter. Now, that sounds to me, hopefully, let, let's just hope what happened was it was a confusion. Like, oh, it's my... Pearl, Izumi, whatever, and they picked it up. That's I'm fine. really hoping that's what happens. That's fine. Because if that didn't happen, that is certifiably gross. Like, you yeah. have a, like, that's really, you're either the cheapest person in the world and a piece of shit for stealing something, or, well, that's really the only thing you can be. Because that's, just, that's right. just wrong. And I don't know how you would set your stuff down beside someone else's stuff and pick up an extra pair of, Dripping wet, nasty bib shorts. Because somehow I got really wet during that race. I don't remember. So in this gross person's defense, they weren't like team kits of any kind, right? They were just generic. They shorts. were straight black bib shorts. Okay.
1: Well,
2: yeah. It's possible. But you would know. It's possible. Let's just hope.
1: Most people, most people would know if they got home and had Matt's tiny little bib shorts, and they're like, "Shit, I won't fit in these. What? What happened? How did I get these?" And I'm, then you just keep them. You know, I mean, well, I should have
2: done. should have gotten on eBay like a well, week they, later and searched for like kitty bib shorts or something, and they probably would have. At, at that up. point, though, like the shorts were already. Uh, I mean, I'll put myself in that situation. What Kenny said does make sense. Let's say I went in, took a shower. I'm just knackered from doing this 60 mile race, and I pick my crap up. I throw a gear bag when I get back. The car, I get home, I throw everything in the washing machine. I put and there's this extra pair of smalls what do I do I give it to that kid that just started riding and don't think twice about it because oops I picked up somebody's stuff there's no way to figure out I've done it a race before not with that kind of stuff but it's been like a table with a bunch of crap on it and I'm like tired and I'm just throwing all my goos or whatever was in there and like a couple of weeks later I'll go through my my bag of crap and I've got some nasty flavored goo I'm like okay that's obviously not mine <laughs> so it happens um Yeah.
1: Do you guys want to move on? Now that John Twist knows why you're begging for clothes on Twitter. Benjamin Wendoff, cable housing styles.
2: There's only one kind of cable housing, and that's hydraulic brake housing because single speed for life. What up? Drop the mic.
1: (laughs) He says, can you talk about the different cable housing styles and pluses and minuses to them? First off, the only real style of cable housing for a mountain bike is full run. Uh, Are you so, talking
2: about, like, just generic regular housing versus gore versus
1: – I'm not really sure. Versus,
2: like, the little segmented ones and that kind of stuff?
1: I'm not really sure, um, so I figured we'd talk about a little bit of all of it. And okay. We, he, he might be listening. So, Benjamin, if you're listening, call up and clarify. Um yeah, you know, because we love to hear from you. You're one of our best listeners.
2: And if you want to call, the number is 646-595-4113. Caller number one, come on down. The Carbo Rocket discount is waiting.
1: Yeah. If you don't call, the Bruce Dickman zombie is going to come and get you. <laughs> no, the Bruce Dickman zombie would have a much, like, deeper and... Uh, there you go. That's more like it. So... Yeah, if you're on a mountain bike, um, use full-run housing. That's pretty much all there is to it. Um, if you're on a mountain bike and even a cross bike, um, you know, if you're going to be riding in anything other than the road, you need run housing, or at least partially full-run, like, down near the ground. Um, you know, like, that's kind of acceptable for some cross bikes. But on a mountain bike, it's full-run housing or nothing. Yeah, it's single speed or full run housing. So if you're talking about housing styles. um,
2: Well, nobody offers something that's is no, let me ask this question because I don't honestly know the answer. Is there someone that's offering enough enough like bits and pieces to make a non standard full run housing? Number one. And number two, how would you keep that from destroying your frame? Because it would be full contact. Yeah, life. I'm not
1: sure. Like, okay, on my road bike, I just, um, one of that I just put together, I use that Jaguar, the new stuff, like the Elite, like the Link kit, and it comes with little rubber, like, slip over things that keep your, you know, your housing from touching your frame, and it's actually really nice, but it's on a road bike, and even though I ride my road bike um, in some, like, gravel and dirt and stuff occasionally, I've never had problems with a road bike getting gunked up housing, um, so you know you're you're probably okay on a road bike to use whatever kind of housing you want. Um, but on a mountain bike, it's like Matt said. I I don't think. I mean, they make extension kits and like extra long kits for that stuff, like Nocon, and I think even the Jaguar.
2: What? I just had a gnarly idea when I was riding. Um, Hydraulic brakes and electronic shifting. No. Boom.
1: No. Mm-hmm. Hydraulic brakes and electronic shifting.
2: Electronic shifting is stupid for a mountain bike. No, I'm just saying in general. We were talking about road bikes. It's really wild. It um, uh, sorry. Because uh, they both exist now. You could actually go buy that bike. Kinda. Yeah, you get that yeah. from yeah. Schemango.
1: Um, so Campy I'm, makes it too. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, Formula Brakes and Campy. Like, Campy,
2: yeah. Campy has hydro discs now? Where they're borrowing time being. The year, the year
1: before last at Interbike, at the Formula Brake, booth they had a bike set up with campy electronic and hydraulic disc campy levers road mm. bike very cool yeah that was the first one i saw and then tram's like no we own it and yeah I was like no one gets a camp oh, this is uh, this is i know this is a little off topic but it kind of involves some mountain biking and some
2: like goofy engineering and i just loved it when i figured out how they did it because i was wondering Road Bike Party 2, if you guys I saw that. It. That's such crap. They use Hope. It was awesome. That <laughs> is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh, it's obviously going to – you could never ride it as a road bike that way because he doesn't – see, he doesn't ride on top of the hoods. He I rides down in the drops the whole time, so it makes sense. But basically what he did is he took really short Hope race levers and put them sideways on his drop bars, yeah. and and they kind of fashioned it – if you're far away, it looks like a hood, but it's really not. Like, if you ever put your hands in that upper pocket, it would just be like... Well, they put hoods on it. Yeah, they kind of did, but I don't think they were like... Well, no, I mean, they put the rubber they did. grip on there they did. to make it because look good. Because he
1: wasn't going to have his hands. Yeah, right. there's
2: no substance under it. It's well, not like there's no, a plastic... I, I get it, I get it. There's no body hand. under there, but they, they made it look, which I think is totally deceptive and was really disappointing, actually. Like, I love that. I no, was no, awesome. that, that pissed me off, actually. Oh man! Because it's like it is inflating, but I don't know. If you didn't watch the making of, you'll have no idea they're using Hope brakes, and you'll have no. I mean, I've ridden the Shram Hydro. I get it; they were recalled. They weren't recalled for the problem that you had to squeeze them. Yeah, but see, they also made that movie like before. I think you could even get those brakes.
1: But they wouldn't put Shram Hydro brakes on his bike anyway, because he's sponsored by Hope. Yeah. But, but it, I just I thought it because I didn't
2: I saw. Oh, and I just kind of discarded it. I'm like, well, maybe they're using one of those little pair of things that like moves cable to yeah. hydraulic and all that kind of stuff. And I saw the making of them. I'm like, oh, my God, they're race breaks sideways. That's so ghetto. <laughs> it is ghetto. Because <laughs> it was super ghetto. They used banjo fittings that like weren't supposed to go where they went and all kinds of ghetto stuff. So I thought it was ghetto fabulous. And then, of course, they got around the shifting problem okay, so, you know, using flat bar di 2
1: Stupid and ghetto fabulous can be used interchangeably.
2: Yeah, I thought it was neat. It was interesting. I hadn't seen anybody do that before, so props to them for actually doing that. So something cool. that's back and on. You top really it. can't talk crap because the guy did a front flip on a road bike. So it's like, well, you know, your argument is no. <laughs> moot.
1: You do know, a you know. We Matt and I talked about that. Yeah, like,
2: we, we did. And
1: once <laughs> you are that good, you can kind of get on any functioning bike and, and do, do that. Of
2: course you can, but it's still freaking awesome. It yeah, just I mean,
1: looks a little more impressive because it's probably a little harder to do on a road bike, but it's still not out of his realm. of. If you ask him to do the hardest thing he knows how to do, he probably couldn't do it on the road bike.
2: Right. It's just... It's no different than the... the... Anyway... It was... Yeah, I I meant it. I meant it to be a tangent to just I thought it was interesting that they used mountain hydros on a road bike and like how (laughs) super ghetto that is. I I was really disappointed with that actually. Um, (laughs) But back to Benjamin's questions about cable housing styles. The other day, Saturday, went on a road ride with Andrea, and um, I uh, I fell apart. Um, (laughs) It was the longest ride I've done in a a while, Um, and it hurt. Was it like fifteen miles? It was uh, it was go pancake yourself. It was uh, three hours. We rode three hours um, of pretty steady pedaling. So yeah, I had to think about that one. Uh, so Andrea has the new Jaguar Elite or what is it?
1: Yeah, I think it's Elite. Um,
2: the new Jaguar that's like no con It looks like
1: no con, but it's a little easier to use.
2: And what I was thinking is um, she has that on her new Cisco Cycles road bike. We were riding road bikes on the road. I was behind her, and uh, if you've never seen the two of us at the same time, Andrea is much smaller than me, about uh, six and a half inches shorter, and her bike is set up about six and a half inches shorter than mine. You know, she has a pretty, a pretty aggressive-ish position on a road bike. I have a fairly aggressive position on my road bike and uh, when I'm riding behind her, there's not a lot of draft. And there was a lot of wind on Saturday. So I was distracting myself by focusing on little parts of the bicycle and admiring them and thinking about them and doing my best not to vomit out. So, um,
1: <laughs>
2: What I thought would be extremely neat is if the Jaguar Elite did come in full run housing, the best way to use it would be very time-consuming to set up, but once it was set up, would provide, I think, unparalleled service. Um, The way it works is you have outer pieces, you have an inner liner, and you have a cable like all mechanical systems would. Uh, The cool thing is once you have the system set up, you can change the inner cable, but that requires you to reassemble the outer housing pieces. And the outer housing pieces are exposed and they can touch your frame. They do come with these wonderful little rubber grommets. It started to make me think, how would you fasten this to your bicycle if you wanted to run full run housing? And the answer is very simple. What you would do is you would assemble the entire system and you would size it and you would make sure everything worked appropriately. Then what you would do is you would unhook it from one end. You would slide a continuous piece of heat shrink tubing over it and you would heat shrink the entire system. So not only was it sealed from the inside by having that inner liner, then the outer system would be sealed so dirt couldn't contaminate it and it could All
1: right, so I can't tell how long that we've been off. Um once again, we are experiencing internet technical difficulties, just like we did at the beginning of the show. Um we were I've been watching it pretty closely, so I don't think we've lost a ton. Um We were talking, we were answering answering Benjamin Windorf's question about cable housing styles and talking a little bit about the link type kits like Nocon, um, the new Jaguar one, which I have on my road bike, and Matt had the idea of if you could get enough of those links that you could do full run, you could put a piece of heat shrink on the outside of them to hold them all together, and you'd still be able to change out the inner liner if you wanted to, the inner liner and cable. I was going to bring up that you could... Uh, or I, there's a company called uh, Alligator, I think is the company, but they used to do a housing, and I don't know if they still do it, where the the pieces, it looked just like NoCon or the new... Um,
0: Jaguar
1: stuff. Jaguar stuff, but it, the pieces connected together and like kind of popped together, and they stuck. So you could take it all apart. Uh, you know, like take the inner liner out, and you would still have like your pieces pieces of housing. Um, what were you talking about before we noticed that we were?
2: Uh, well, I was talking about you would have a totally compressionless system that didn't rub holes in your paint, didn't rub holes in your carbon, did all that by heat shrinking the whole setup.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's. I think that's what where we left off was I was saying, not that a good quality well, trailer housing is. And that, Bad, that's what I was gonna go through
2: at the end though. It's like it's not worth it. When you have to do all that stuff for full run, it's not yeah. worth it.
1: Yeah, so if if in case just in case that part didn't get um didn't didn't show up on the show. Uh, if you're on a mountain bike or a cross bike, any bike that you're going to ride off road on a regular basis, um, it's full run housing or nothing.
2: I have a really good idea. It's actually such a good idea that I don't think that I should talk about it because, it's, <laughs> because I don't want to. How
1: many chicken nuggets does it? Work?
2: Because I don't want to be second to market with it. So, okay, it's it's tough. seriously. But are you going to patent it? I guess we'll talk about it. Okay, it would be bamboo housing. <laughs>
1: Get the, get the pancake out.
2: <laughs> Everybody else is doing stuff with bamboo, damn it. So get gonna... the
1: pancake out.
2: Holy shit. What? So if you go over to the Facebook page Do right Do they already now... have bamboo housing? No, this is way better. This is a picture of me when I was like 13 years old.
1: Why did you have
2: it on Facebook? Uh, my friend Chris is a guy that uh met a long time ago. Um, he posted a picture of me from... I think it's on the just riding along live at 7.30 p.m central time event um, He posted a photo of me oh my
1: gosh tongue out
2: That is at the now defunct or the now gone um, <laughs> dark side skate
1: park. I remember that I remember that i you know what I think I've sat on that couch watching a boyfriend or somebody that I was in a relationship with skateboard at Darkseid. Yeah. So, so uh,
2: to answer and wrap up Benjamin, Benjamin's question, finally, uh, in the long run, it's nice to use the Jaguar L3 housing with
1: yeah, that looks like, a liner. like a little
2: bit of super super lubey stuff in there.
1: Yeah, it's got like some kind of green blue. It
2: It's not like normal lube. Don't ever lube your housing other than buying this housing. Really, it's just bad. Um, So, yeah, that's what you should do. Run L3 if Um, if it's the shiz.
1: Lubing housing, just to add to that, like you can actually get um, some stuff that says like housing lube. I know Progold makes it. I think Finish Line might make one. Um, Again,
2: zombie apocalypse, you
1: can't buy new housing. Yeah, it's good for an emergency. You can
2: temporarily make something that's sticky work, and then it's just going to get even worse down the road. Like,
1: pretty much that's what at the shop, like, we use that stuff for someone brought their Walmart bike in or just their mountain bike in general and was like, I can't spend more than $5 to fix this. You disconnect the the cable, and you squirt some lube in there um, into the housing, and then you reconnect it and, like, adjust the shifting. And that's the best you can do. Um, But really living housing isn't that great of an idea.
2: Nope. Horrible idea. Don't do it. Uh, Brad Hopper from Memphis want, uh, has a question for Matt McCulley. He asks, what jeans make the best jorts? Which what may genes? have already been asked. That, that question has been asked. Something about jorts has been asked before. No,
1: it's the length of jorts.
2: Well, the length of your jorts should cover your, so you're, you should have a cycling tan line in the summer because that's jorts is in the summer. When you're standing, your tan line should be covered, and when you're squatting, your tan line should be visible. Figure it out on your own. But he's but not asking him, like, he wants to know what, jeans. To know what jeans make what the best jorts.
1: The jeans that you wore out in the wintertime.
2: No, this is a very, very, think about this. This is the cool part about making jorts. It doesn't matter what happened below the knee. So they can be bootleg, they can be super tight bottom, they could be a zipper cuff, they could be anything you want. This he is could. very important. Use the jeans that make your ass look the best when making <laughs> jorts because that's all that's left is leg and ass in wow. jeans. Have so. you have you considered making jorts out of those pajamas that look like jeans? Jiggins? I have considered making not considered. <laughs> I have anticipated and am looking forward to making jorts out of my favorite pants that are now pretty trashed. And they're gonna be fabulous. And <laughs> and to go even a little bit crazier, I am assuming myself as the Memphis Taylor Finney, and I bought a pair of colored pants the other day. So, the...
1: Matt has a pair of pants that match salad bowl. They're pretty pretty red. They're
2: maroon. They're maroon. They're a Cabernet color. Pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're they're jeans? No, they're pants. They're like... Like like flax? Not flax. They're like pants. Like chinos. Oh, okay. So, yeah. (laughs)
1: Let's answer Joe Edwards' question and then GTFO.
2: Joe Edwards, gearing and tires for Barry Roubaix. Um, let
1: me. Uh, hold let me, on, hold on. I want to read his whole question because I I'm want sure. to give
2: him some quick and dirty answers while you're actually looking it up. Here's the thing, Joe. Ride the lightest tires you're you're ballsy enough to ride, and ride the biggest gear you think you can turn over.
1: Okay. So this is Michael Frey. Wait. Oh no, that's. Okay, yeah, that's that's a different question. Sorry, I was thinking of Michael Frey's question. Okay, I mean, as far as okay, Joe yeah, Edwards. Okay, Joe Edwards' question. He wants to know gearing entire. I haven't ridden, and none of us have ridden Barry Roubaix, Um on a rigid single speed mount or.
2: Yeah, rigid single speed mountain bike.
1: Yeah, I haven't ridden um, Barry Roubaix, but I know at like um, Southern Cross, I think on single speed mountain bikes people were riding like a thirty two. 18 or something. If you're not that awesome of a climber, maybe a little lower. Um, the tires, like an Icon 2.1 front and rear. Yeah, you could use. You a little for the gravel grinders. I'd say use something that's relatively light as far as tread goes, but with a little bit of sidewall protection because that uh, forest road gravel can get pretty damn sharp.
2: And also remember, you're riding a mountain bike, so. Don't put cross tires on your mountain bike.
1: Yeah, don't don't go full cross.
2: Because the problem is you're going to carry around this heavy mountain bike. you might as well put another quarter or half pound or whatever it is on there and get the, the buckness and the confidence that a big tire will give you. And like Andrew was saying, run something with some protection. Um, don't run any specialized S-Works tires. Don't do it.
1: Yeah, like the, the Icon 2.2 would be a good tire for that. Like with the
2: EXO protection? Yeah,
1: yeah. they make It's a pretty light tire, and they make it with little sidewall protection, um, and it's still relatively light. So that's, that is the tire, like front and rear. Normally on a mountain bike um, for, like, trail riding, I wouldn't run that in the front, but I'd say for a gravel grinder, you're going to be in good shape with that. Yeah. Kinetian process. What about
2: Michael's big question? I think that'd be a better one to wrap it up with. I would hate yeah. to leave that unanswered.
1: So Michael Frey <laughs> says, I've been just riding along for a handful of years, and this past season...
2: <laughs> I see what you did there, Michael, huh? And I approve.
1: <laughs> entered into a few endurance races. Um, I had a great time and did pretty decent. Decided to upgrade my five-year-old aluminum ride to a scalpel. Has a World Cup and RT-3. Want to know just how important is it to manage suspension? I Wait, know.
2: What? Hold on. <laughs> no, 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 no. First problem. How does he have a scalpel with a World Cup? I don't know. Ditch the lefty? Or is he talking I'm about a stamper? I guess he could have. That would be kind of silly. That'd be awesome. It'd make it a less shitty bike. <sighs>
1: <could be. laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so he has kind of a non setup on his scalpel. I want to know just how important is it to manage suspension. I know about setting sag and all, but do you really need to micro-dial in the settings? Territory is primarily Ohio, think Mohican stuff, and it seems laboring over compression rebound, tire tread, and pressure can overcomplicate things. You need a rigid single speed. Um, Being the trails are (laughs) uh, (laughs)
2: are
1: within a range composition wise, I can just Can I just set it and forget it, or will that be leaving too much goodness on the table at each venue? Thank you for – or thanks, and you all have a great show. Oh, and in case someone already hasn't set it, fuck.
2: There we go. That is awesome. So suspension settings are hugely important, and it's something that most people overlook, and that's when they ride full suspension and they think it sucks is because it's not set up right. So I think it's really, 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 really important. And, I mean, just look at any other form of motorsports that involves suspension. Motorcycle racing, NASCAR, whatever it is, they spend so much time in R&D on suspension because it's what matters. It's what makes you go faster. So, yeah,
1: because it gets the power to the ground and keeps you yeah. in control.
2: Yeah, tires on the ground mean traction, and traction means going faster. So Or going slower, it which could. sometimes means going faster. <laughs> no, I mean, but, like, yeah. if your tires aren't on the ground, you can't brake. Yeah. And if you can't brake, you can't go fast because you can't brake that much, so you can't go that fast. The general anyway. rule of thumb with wheels is if they're on the ground, they're going to do better.
1: Sick whips, bro. What yeah. up, bro? Unless you're doing sick whips. Unless and you're which which doing sick whips. But
2: if you're doing sick whips in just a minute, you're going to need really good suspension.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: so anyway, it's really, really, uh, it's really important. And we've had shows in the past where we talked about how to set up suspension and we could probably maybe link to one of those it was one of the first shows
1: yeah yeah i think we did talk about that because we
2: spent like an hour just talking about suspension settings, so i won't go over that right now because we don't have time to do it
1: but i think some of what he's asking is once you get it right do you need to change it for different terrain from what i see not really yeah
2: because the amount of adjustability that's on mountain bike suspension once you get it set up pretty well you're not really gonna have to mess with it it's a little bit different than the super sensitive, crazy setups in high-end motorsports where different tracks do require different settings. Honestly, on the mountain bike, if you have it set properly for your weight and your riding style and what terrain you typically ride, it's going to be just fine. Yeah, If, and that's or if you can get your suspension to 80% of its potential, let's say, that's such a huge leap. Because most people, when I get on their bikes, I can just tell, obviously not everybody... That's
1: like the, the Ross 9, like the demo bike. I was setting the suspension up, and the rebound was turned down almost all the way to where when you push the fork down, it was, like, psh, yeah. like coming back up. And it's, like, who rode this? Like? Exactly,
2: because okay. somebody messed with it. Like, people see a red dial, and they go,
1: full plus.
2: Like, why would I want minus when there's a plus? It's like, amazing. <laughs> it amazing. And people actually do that. They're, like,
1: yes, more plus. <laughs> more,
2: plus. more plus means faster
1: <laughs> so
2: anyway most people have no clue what they're doing when it comes to suspension but I'll give you really 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 quick and dirty setup. set your sag you should know how to do that that just sets your spring rate correctly that's it you do it sitting on the bike the fork's a little bit trickier you need to be standing on the pedals when you do the fork otherwise if you're sitting in the saddle you're never going to compress the fork as much as it needs to to get it uh, set up right as far as sag goes so I usually get up over the bars just a little bit. And you kind can get, of my, like,
1: in a doorway and lean a shoulder yeah. on there. You want to, like, get in a, your attack position. put as little weight as possible in that shoulder and doorway because you want all of your weight on the bike.
2: Yeah. So anyway, boom, you set your sag front and rear. That's air pressure. That's it. Super easy. Set it to roughly 25%. Mess with it a little bit if you want. Um, and uh, then
1: 20%. Yeah. I mean,
2: within that realm, some people do 20, some people do 30, usually 30 is more kind of all mountain stuff. 20 is a little bit more racy, but it, it's personal preference. And honestly, you're going to find that your margin of error with the amount of stiction and suspension, it's difficult to get and
1: with the amount of error that you lose when you unscrew your
2: shock. Exactly. It's pretty difficult on cross country suspension stuff to get more accurate than like in that 5% zone. If you're Being within close, 5%, you're fine. Or maybe a different way to put it is close. If you've never set your suspension up and you, or you're hearing this for the first time now and you do this, your bike is going to ride like a totally different beast. Yeah. So, boom, set your sag. And, honestly, the only other thing you got to do with most cross-country suspension, this is not talking about a Fox 40 and downhill courses and all this kind of crap and low speed and high speed compression compression. They don't have that stuff, so don't worry about it. All you got to do is on your front and rear shock, on the front fork, bottom of the right leg, the rebound knob. And then on your rear shock, it's probably going to be a little red dial. That's your rebound on both of them. And you want to set that. What you want to do on the fork is you push down on the fork. You're going to let go of the bars, and you're going to let them return without your hands on them at all. So you're going to let it return on its own. And you want to dial that in where it's returning as quickly as possible, but it's not jumping. So real fast and controlled is what you want. Uh, And then do the here, and that's pretty much it you want to try to the front and rear and set right up the same. So if you can kind of get by as a reflection or get high just get on the, down on the pedals and just see if the front and back are returning at the same rate. And that's a pretty good way to make sure your, um, your suspension is set up right. So that's a real quick, super quick and dirty way of doing it. And if you do that stuff, you're going to be within like 80% of where you need to be. And most people aren't even close to that. So,
1: and it might be something that you set it up like Kenny says and you are within that 80% range and maybe once you get to some different terrain you notice maybe like you know if you run through like some loose gravel and stuff maybe you're not getting as much traction maybe you want to drop your air yes, pressure yeah will. your air pressure down just 5 psi or mm-hmm. something maybe right? I was thinking the other way
2: you go somewhere that's really 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 lumpy and you feel like the suspension is just, like, packing up really bad or you're hitting the rim a little bit, you might add a tiny bit of pressure to your tire or your shock, like, one or two PSI on the tire or, like, one or two PSI on the shock, like, a tiny bit of stuff.
1: Yeah, so the the more difficult terrain is going to help you know if your suspension is correct, but most like you know, if you set it up to ride at home and then you go someplace else and it still feels good to you, don't worry about it.
2: Um what else I had one more comment on the suspension thing, shoot what was it? Um, I mean don't okay so we did the sag and we did the rebound and you're going to have an- another fiddly knob on the top of your fork on the right side like on the RockShox it could be called an RCT3, on the Fox it's called a CTD. Everyone has a million different names for it, but what all those systems do no matter what anybody says and I haven't really seen differently is it's Low Speed Compression Damping. That's all that stuff is. And they have fancy names for it in a bunch of different settings, but it's the same freaking thing. So all that means is what you're doing is when you're clicking that to the plus setting, whatever that would be, whatever they call it, um, you're adding Low Speed Compression Damping and you're effectively stiffening up the suspension when it moves slowly. So there's a circuit in there that works when the suspension moves slowly. So like pedaling forces, like if you're something that makes the bike bob, at, you know.
1: Like at, when you stand and pedal or it, just exactly. and you don't pedal smoothly for whatever reason.
2: Exactly. not It's not a square edge bump. Now, some of that stuff bleeds over and that's a whole other topic, but generally that's what you're doing. And what you're doing on that is you're compromising the suspension. No suspension is going to work good. With a no no of- suspension is going to work better in its open compression setting than it will in uh, the blocked out setting. It's just not going to. It's a compromise, and that's fine because you use it when you don't need the suspension. So just keep that in mind. Most people shouldn't be running around an entire race course with some huge amount of compression damping on the front fork, or you're probably doing it wrong, and you're masking a problem because your suspension is not set up right. And I see a lot of people do that. They'll run around all the time with this beautiful, awesome fork. And they're running max low-speed compression damping the whole time. They're like, oh, I like stiff. And the fork never moves. And, and, and when it does, it's choppy and nasty, and, and I'm just shaking my head. And the reason they do it is because I open it up, and they have their fork set up with 50% sag. It's like, well, no wonder you don't want to ride like that. It rides <laughs> like shit. So if you have your suspension set up properly, to answer one of your other questions is, you can probably leave it on that setting all the time and in all the courses you go to. And then once in a blue moon kind of thing, lock it out, like, like for a long run or on the road or what have you. So anyway, that's the general idea, and there's a whole lot of more detail that we can get into, but yeah. that's the deal.
1: Matt, you got anything to add?
2: Yeah, no, not really. Are ready to wrap it up? My bikes are rigid. I don't know shit about suspension.
1: <laughs> if you ride a rigid bike, it's always fun, and I, I did this one time, and it, it, made, it still makes me giggle when I think about it. Um, if you ride a rigid bike, pull up to the trail with everyone else, and while they pumping up and everything. Like, pull your bike out of the car and be like, shit. And everyone, when everyone turns around, they're like, what? What's wrong? And they're like, I forgot my shock pump. <laughs> and they will automatically go and start digging around on the bar for one, and then you just kind of, like, giggle at them <laughs> because they always have one.
2: <laughs> or you always hear, it's it's part of the shit mountain bikers say, and you get down with a part of a trail, and somebody inevitably behind you is like, oh, man, I left my fork lockout on. Yeah, that's so you can say that as a single speed, and it's fine.
1: Yeah.
2: So single, you mean as a rigid person? You can only say it's single speed. What? There's one dude that runs around on a Niner with a rigid fork. It's a, a Niner Jet 9 full suspension with a rigid fork. What? And I never understood that. I see him in Arkansas once in a
0: while. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Be sure to head over to MountainBikeradio.com to find a full listing of all the shows, recent episodes, archives, and... You can buy some swag, t-shirts, socks, stickers, and you can become a member in which you get deals on coaching, nutrition, products, and a whole bunch of other things. So be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com and you'll find all the info you need. Thank you.